church. I hope all of you uh, picked up a bottle of water this morning as you came in. If you did not, I want to encourage you to pick one up on the way out. Now, and as you do that, I want you to not only enjoy this bottle of water, but I also want you to save this bottle of water because it is going to be a reminder of what God has placed on my heart to share with you this morning. Um, as we talk about being the living and giving of H2O in the world that we live in. I want to begin because in uh, Eugene Peterson translates in the message in Matthew chapter 12 verse 42. He says this, give a cool cup of water to someone who is thirsty. For instance, the smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice. You won't lose out on a thing. I want to begin this morning by inviting um, uh, a wonderful son-in-law, uh, Louis, to, to join with me as he shares a, just a powerful story of a cup of cold water in the lives of some teenagers. Good morning. So I uh, had asked Rich yesterday, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I called him and I said, you know, we had an amazing time at our Healing on the Streets ministry today, and I, I have a testimony that I really want to share. Can you squeeze it in Sunday morning? And he so graciously said yes, so here I am. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Louis Brosh, and for the past three years I have helped lead a ministry called Healing on the Streets um, here at the church. Ministry is simply we go out to East Cleveland and Slavic Village every Saturday for an hour, and we ask people who are walking by if we can pray for them today. And through that, we've had just amazing encounters uh, week after week. But obviously, during the, the the quarantine, we put a kind of a halt on that, which uh, which was a big move for us because we've been doing it consistently for almost three years, um, every single Saturday, rain or shine, no matter what the weather is. So to put a hold on that was kind of a big deal, but it's just the times we were living in. And uh, But recently, with everything that's been going on through the, through just the chaos of the world around us, uh, I was more and I was extremely excited and motivated to get back out and to do it again. So yesterday was our second week out, and um, we just had an amazing encounter. Moments before we were about ready to pack everything up and call it a day, we noticed a group of, of of teenage guys who were walking the sidewalk, who were walking towards the McDonald's that were that we stand in front of. There were about five of them, and one of them was walking with his shoe off and had a severe limp to the point where, like, he probably needed some crutches to walk because he couldn't put any weight on it, he couldn't move it. So we just made a beeline right towards him, and uh, I got right in front of him. Like, hey, man, how's it going? He's like, good. Hey, so what happened to your leg? He's like, oh, I, I heard it playing basketball. I'm like, just now? He's like, yeah, just now. So I asked him simply, do you want all that to go away? Like, completely. Well, yeah. All right. Well, my name's Louie. And then, like, I asked him what his name was and kind of built a little bit of a conversation. Then I asked him if I can pray for him. I'm like, because God will completely take away right now. Okay. So I got down and put my hand on his ankle, prayed for him. After one prayer, literally about 30 seconds, maybe 20 seconds even, I asked him to check it and ask him how it feels. His pain level dropped from a 10 to a 2, like just instantly. He was able to put weight on it. He was able to move it. He was completely stunned 
and so were all four of his friends that were all watching this happen. I asked him if I could pray again. So then we prayed one more time. All the pain completely left. He had full mobility of his, of his, of his ankle. He was able to put weight on it as if nothing had happened. I immediately had their attention. So then we were, we were able to, to, to share the gospel message of him and just very simply tell these young men that, listen, what God just did for your leg, he wants to do for the rest of your life in every single aspect. And I asked these, four God, these, these five young men if they've ever experienced God's presence in a real powerful way. They said no. I asked them if, if they wanted to right now in this moment. They said, Sure. So I gathered them all in the circle. I told them to put their hands out, close their eyes. We prayed over each and every single one of them, and every single one of them felt the Holy Spirit, like in a real way. I don't mean metaphorically speaking. I mean powerfully. Some of them started shaking. Some of them felt this intense heat in their hands. But all of them felt the same thing, which was this overwhelming sense of peace that just rushed over all of them. So then we started talking more about what Jesus has to offer them, what he wants to do with their lives and transform everything. And in that moment, every single one of those young men gave their life to Christ that day. You know, it was, someone once asked uh, Kathy Lee Gifford why she's, she was so bold in her faith and why she talks about her faith in God to those around her. And her response was, is so fitting, and it's something that I've just remembered every single day. It's like, she said that, you know, if, if you had the cure for cancer and you knew it, you would tell everybody, no matter who they are, what their age, race, or ethnicity was, or gender, it wouldn't even matter. It wouldn't even matter if they wanted to hear it or not. You would tell them. But you have the cure for the human condition. Listen, regardless of everything that's going on right now, it is a great time to be a follower of Christ. You carry the cure for every ailment that we as humans go through. Everything. You carry the cure for it. All we have to do is get out there and tell them who that is. One of the little aspects that uh, Louis shared in the first service was that uh, the young man put his shoe back on and uh, was able to to walk away from that. And so uh, it's an awesome it's an awesome story. As we, we, as we get started this morning, um, I want to just re- suggest to you two books to think about reading in the weeks to come. Uh, there are two books that have uh, impressed me. One of them I have read recently, uh, the other one I read ab- about a year ago. Uh, the first one is a book by Miles McPherson. It's called The Third Option, Hope for a Radically Divided Nation. And uh, the second one is David Anderson's book, Graceism, the Art of Inclusion. But you see, Miles McPherson, he is the founding pastor of the Rock Church in San Diego. It is a 20,000 member multi campus church. Miles is a former NFL football player for the San Diego Chargers. And it was during his time in the NFL, those four years, that he came into a personal relationship with Jesus. He describes himself as a black man who is the the proud offspring of two black grandfathers, a half 
Chinese and half-black grandmother and a white grandmother. And this is what he writes as we think about living and giving water this morning. When we allow racism into our hearts and society, we minimize the priceless value of God's image in others, which limits our ability to honor, to love, and to serve them the way God calls us to. Culture plays a big role in perpetrating racism by wrongly insisting that there are only two options you can choose from, us or them. Culture pits one group of people against the other by promoting a zero-sum game mentality that says you must lose in order for me to win. God, however, offers a third option, he says, that stands in stark contrast to the two offered by culture. God's third option invites us to honor that which we have in common, the presence of his image in every person we meet. When we honor the presence of his image in others, we acknowledge their priceless value as precious and beloved by God. The third option empowers us to see people through God's eyes, which enables us to treat them in a manner that honors the potential of his image in us. Water, especially clean water, is considered a valuable and vital resource, a necessity for life. Villages all around the world are finding new hope and freedom from disease because someone has helped them build a well to provide clean water to their community. In these days, it is imperative that the body of Christ offer a well of hope and healing for our communities and our nation. And so in this day in which we honor fathers, in a time when we need a way to move forward in healthy and and life-giving ways in our culture, I want to offer you this morning this cold water to captivate our hearts, to live the transformed lives that God desires us to have. And so for a few moments this morning, I want to let the symbol of water, H2O, remind us of how we need to live out our lives daily with honor, humility, and opportunity. So let us begin by standing up as you are able to for the reading of God's word as a sign of honor for the place and authority that God's word has in our lives. Will you stand with me as we listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 14, verses 7 through 11. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person 
your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all the guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. May God bless us in the understanding and receiving of his word this morning. You may be seated. H2O. Honor. Table Talk is a monthly magazine devoted to daily devotions and and studies and articles, and it was founded by R.C. Sproul many years ago. In February of 2019, they dedicated the entire edition to the topic of honor. One of the contributors to that monthly edition wrote this about honor in an article called The Disappearance of Honor. Honor is no longer merely laughed at today. It is mocked, it is ridiculed, and despised. Along with dignity, respect, decorum, honor is not fading away to misuse. It is actively attacked and assailed from every side. What is honor? Honor means to esteem, to treat someone else with respect because of who they are or what they've done. Honor has a sense of value, price, and quality. The problem with honor in our culture, one of the problems in our culture is that We so readily and easily honor those for what they have done. And we struggle with honoring those for who they are. My heart aches at the thought that our nation and our culture has developed a disdain for all things Judeo-Christian. That we're going to try to develop solutions to the problems of social injustice and the social divide in our nation, and throughout our world, completely apart from God. Yet biblical truth, the God who is the only eternal presence, must be the foundation of any solution regarding personal, family, community, or national life. All other foundations will be shifting sand. And it's vital that we begin as Christians, to make sure that the lives we live, the words we profess, start with our honoring God. Now, it may be start with Sunday morning and our deepest desire to gather together and to worship God. But honoring God cannot and must not be contained to a two-hour or one-hour experience once a week. Honoring God must be a daily decision, an hourly decision. It is not reserved for a time or a place. 
It is not reserved. Honoring God takes place whenever, wherever we are, whenever we are, whatever we do, and whatever we say. With the words of our mouths or the characters we type or send on social matter. Honoring God matters in our Christian life. Jesus declares the greatest commandment to be love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, all the time. Not just on Sunday morning, but every day, in every situation, in every place. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, the Lord's Prayer, we call it. We prayed it this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. These are words that can form the foundation of many, many sermons. So let me just simply say this this morning. Honoring God recognizes the special relationship we have with him and the special relationship every person can have with him. God is our father and we are joyfully and gladly his children. Oh, how our country desperately needs to know that God has such a pure and deep love for them and desperately desires that relationship with them like no other. To honor God is to hallow, to revere, to respect his name. I can only imagine how God heart grieves at all the name-calling that is going on in our culture and in our world today. Every time his name or his children's name are put down or ridiculed, it has to grieve his heart. And so honoring God means it must grieve ours too. Honoring God is desiring above all of our personal wants and desires that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. It's acknowledging that his ways, his plans, his thoughts are higher and better than anything we could come up with on our very own. Honoring God is daily acknowledging, not with some simple token gesture, but with the words of our lips, with the attitude of our hearts, with the work of our hands. That God has indeed created us. And that he has redeemed us through Christ. And now he sustains us and lives with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. I honor him in all that I am and all that I do. It is the daily honoring of God in our lives that then empowers us to honor 
every human life and be an example for the rest of the world. Honor acknowledges the reality that every single human life, past, present, and future, is fearfully and wonderfully made by the hands of God and in the image of God. Psalm 8.5 says, Yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you crowned him with glory and honor. Since every person bears the image of God, every person therefore has intrinsic value and worth and deserves to be treated with honor regardless of their color, their age, their orientation, their nationality, their words, or their actions. If we don't start here, I don't know where we can start. One of the simplest acts that we can do and must do as the body of Christ is to see first see everyone and anyone as persons created in the image of God. It doesn't, I don't need to say much, how that is so contrary to the message that is being proclaimed daily throughout the news that fills the airways. Regardless of whose side you're on or if you're sitting on the fence, every protester, every rioter, every police officer, every person of every color is created in the image of God. That is undisputable. And biology even backs that up. Do you realize that according to biology, we all share a genome that makes us 99.5% identical to everyone. It is the melanin in us that creates all the various shades of brown that exist in the world. This means that the concept of races is a social construct not a biological one. Biologically speaking, we are all one human race. Social constructs like slavery have been able to exist in its many forms because those who have been enslaved are viewed as property and something less than human. Human trafficking exists for the same reason. Hitler was able to do what he did because he was able to convince others that Jews and those with disabilities were something less than human. Abortions have become an acceptable part of our society for some because they determine at some point other than conception when human life begins. Paul said to the Corinthians, right before the great love chapter of chapter 13. In the 12th chapter, he writes these words, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. We live in a world that wants to give honor to the greater parts rather than the parts that lack it. 
This is what we see in Jesus' parable. Don't be the one who honors himself. Rather, place yourself at the end of the table so that the host may come to you and say, friend, move up higher. Jesus is telling us, his followers, that it is our responsibility to take those who are lower in lower places and to say to them, friend, let's move higher up. Let me raise you up. In other words, give them honor. Not because they've deserved it or achieved it, but because they are simply created in the image of God. In a few few short weeks, we'll be celebrating our nation's birth, which is founded on the principles of the Declaration of Independence. This powerful document states, we hold these truths to be what? Self-evident that all men, all people are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, given by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Unalienable rights are those rights that cannot be taken away or denied. That among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In the words of Miles McPherson, we can choose sides, or we can choose honor. But we can't choose both. What will you choose? This leads us to humility. Proverbs 18.12. From the wisdom of Solomon, we find these words. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. But humility comes before honor. If we're going to be a church that honors life, we must take seriously the place that humility has in our lives. Humility comes before honor. The simplest definition I know of humility is this. Thinking less about yourself and more about others. Thinking less about yourself and more about others. We only need to look at Jesus' life to understand the fullness of what humility looks like in flesh and blood. Jesus declared he came not to be served, but to serve. We find Jesus willing to eat with tax collectors and sinners, Paul says in Philippians that Jesus emptied himself to become like one of us. He healed the lame, the blind, the lepers. He asked a Samaritan woman for a drink from a well. And throughout the Gospels, we read story after story after story of Jesus' humility where he thought less about himself and more about others. You and I know that the ultimate expression of that comes in the hours leading up to and including his crucifixion. Jesus allowed himself to be whipped and beaten, insulted, spat upon, and ultimately die on a cross that we could be 
given something that we never, ever deserved, that our sins be forgiven and our relationship with God restored. Consider for a moment all that we have seen over the past few weeks throughout our country. We can go back even further, decades or even centuries if you want. The radical nature of the gospel is this. There is not a single, single, single sinful act. Say that three times real fast. A single sinful act or attitude that is not forgiven at the cross of Christ. Not a one. Miles McPherson, in his book, devotes several chapters, though, to the topic of blind spots. And if we truly want to live a life of humility, it's important that we realize that we do have some blind spots. He defines blind spots as simply the inability to see what you are missing. You know, recently, over the, over the last decade or so, there's a lot of attention and resources that have gone into the development of side view mirrors in order to help eliminate the blind spots while driving, which can, can become a major reason for accidents, especially on the highway. Some of you have little mirrors. Some of you have a flashing light. Some of you, I don't know, might have bells and whistles that go off. How many of you have ever been on the receiving end of a honked horn because you started changing lanes and did not see the car next to you? Now I bet some of you are also good horn honkers too. We all have blind spots. In fact, it's a biological reality. It's the reality that takes a a reality within the context of our eyes. But from a social and cultural perspective, our brains are filled with gaps. And what often fills those gaps in our brains are stereotypes that are often developed through family life, school, work, media, just to name a few. And so those stereotypes help create and fill blind spots when we don't have enough good personal information to offer an appropriate response. Think for a moment of some of your viewpoints. Are they created by firsthand knowledge or experience? Or are they created from the perceptions that may not be based on reality but on stereotypes that you have come to hold on to. Humility, and so much more could be said about this, is acknowledging our blind spots and allowing ourselves to see things differently, seeing people with the eyes of Jesus. It could be said that many of Jesus' interactions And reactions to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the other religious leaders throughout the Gospels were over their blind spots. 
honor, humility, and now opportunity. As followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is constantly giving us opportunities to honor others. It is fascinating to me that the centerpiece of Luke 14 is two parables about a wedding feast and a great banquet. It's preceded by a Sabbath healing, which caused a few blind spots for the, for the Pharisees. And then it's followed up by a lengthy discussion on the cost of discipleship. I think there are very briefly two very simple lessons we can learn from Luke 14. The first one is this. As Christians, we have a great feast or a great banquet to offer the world. But it will cost us something. We have a tremendous opportunity. But if we're looking for the world to honor us, We'll never find it. Because it will cost us something. But the second is this. We need to invite those who don't deserve it. Luke 14, 13 says, When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Further on in the parable, the host instructs his servants to go out to the streets, the lanes, the highways, the hedges. Just go out and compel them to come. What I love about Lou's story earlier and the four boys. Is that it would never would have happened if he just stood at the end of his driveway. It never would have happened if he did if he stood out in front of the church on the sidewalk. But it happened because the Holy Spirit compelled him to an area that he never really knew about 3 or 4 years ago and take up a place on a sidewalk in front of McDonald's on Broadway in Slavic Village. To honor, to, and to look at people's faces and see the image of God within them. It's one of the reasons why I have come to love my Fridays here at the church. As many of you know, I've become the milkman and the produce man. Every Friday, 180 gallons of milk get delivered here to the church. And I have the opportunity to to disperse it within a matter of hours because I don't have the refrigeration for 180 gallons. And I appreciate all those that have come alongside to help it out, help me out. 35 of them immediately go down to Slavic Village into the Shewitz for their neighborhood. In recent weeks, I've gotten involved in... in, 
and helping to hand out over 180 produce boxes and, and dairy boxes and uh, coming to find out that unless something changes, a lot of that is going to dry up at the end of June because uh, the country is opening up and restaurants need the food and so the surplus is not there. Elizabeth, my wife, has taken boxes of produce and, and, and just walked up and down, gone up and down the street. And we've helped a, a dad who's, who's struggling to make ends meet because he just recently went through a divorce and had two kids. And for the first time in months, he was able to offer his kids a fresh fruit uh, frozen uh, shake or whatever. Uh, and the word slips my mind right now. But anyways, um, the produce and the milk may end. But I got a call this week from Kim Klima. As a matter of fact, she sent me an email and she said, hey, you know, um, the Girl Scouts have a lot of cookies that they weren't able to sell because of the virus. And she said, uh, would you be able to help distribute to 200 cases? To those in need. 200 cases, 12 boxes in a case. Started making a few phone calls. I called her back an hour later. I said, look, Kim, I don't know how many you're trying to get rid of. But if you need to, I'll help you get rid of a 1,000 cases. That's 12,000 boxes of cookies over the summer. Because I believe there's an opportunity that God is placing in our hands to help lift up someone in our community or in Slavic village. I love my Fridays because I get to go with Scott Glazier and the Fresh Start bus and together we we go down and make showers available to the homeless in, at St. Herman's. I love the opportunity just to hang out with them because they're the image of God. We offer them a shower. We offer them toiletries. We offer them some clean clothes, maybe a little bit of food. But most of all, I love honoring them by getting to know their name. To hear a little bit of their story. And adding their names to my prayers throughout the week. To Kelvin. To Abel. To Herman. To Jackie. To Rick. I honor you this morning because you're made in the image of God. Every day we have an opportunity to honor someone else. So take the time to honor people, especially someone who is culturally different from you. As Miles McPherson says, are you willing to allow him to express his love through you? to whomever, whenever, wherever.
We dishonor God, ourselves and our neighbors, when we decide how and when and with whom to share his love. You can't honor someone you don't know. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we in the midst of our nation, Lord, um, we, we, we believe that we are standing on a great opportunity to honor the lives of every individual as the body of Jesus Christ by offering a cup of cold water in whatever shape or form it might take. So Father, we we pray today, Lord, And humbly admit that we have blind spots. And we pray, Lord, that you would remove those blind spots, that we might have the perfect vision of Jesus for the hearts and the lives of all people around us. And we pray that you would continue to give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to love and honor all of those, everyone who's created in the image of God. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.